Welcome to the How I Became podcast, all about entrepreneurship. John Carlo, thank you so much for joining me on the How I Became podcast. I'm so excited to introduce you and everything you've been up to as I've been following your journey for quite a long time. And yeah, I'm really excited to, to have you here. Yeah, no, thank you. Super excited to be part of it. Awesome. So quick background on yourself and obviously fill in anything that I may miss, but <laughs> you were a graduate of the Schulet School of Business. You're currently the co-founder and CRO of Blade Filters and Blade Air. So we'll get into the, the two names there. Investor, you're an advisor to startups. Really exciting. I saw that you are a Forbes 30 under 30 in the industry of manufacturing. But I want to start back at the beginning because you've had multiple businesses starting from heat mugs to easy shoe covers and today <laughs> running an industry leading manufacturing of commercially commercial indoor and air quality tech. So that's quite the span of things that you've been involved in. So I'd love to hear a little bit about the journey throughout. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I haven't heard about those heat mugs in a little while. So it's <laughs> I'm glad we're taking it back there because uh, it's super, super exciting. And honestly, such a learning curve and just the entire journey along the way um, was definitely a roller coaster. So, yeah, no, thank you for that intro. Wow, where do we begin? How did I become Giancarlo? And it's still trying to figure out who Giancarlo is, I think, at this point, too, and what, what he's evolving into. Um, but, you know, I, I think from a very young age, I always had that entrepreneurial spark within me you know, with, with the heat mugs and I'll, and I'll get into that in a little bit, but even before then, you know, when I was in elementary school, having little, it wasn't just a lemonade stand on the corner of my house. It was lemonade stands are boring. Let's do something more intriguing. Let's do pina coladas. And I remember doing that and uh, people would come for lemonade. I'd be like, you know, I also have pina coladas if you want. So <laughs> as, yeah, so as funny as it is, so it kind of always had that spark in me, but never really clued into it, to be honest. It was always just something fun to to keep me busy going through high school and high school is kind of where I got my first real taste of entrepreneurship to an extent actually in grade 11 it was I joined a program called the junior achievement company program a program that focuses on financial literacy for students so they start all the way down from like I don't know, say grade two or, or, or whatever like that and teaching you uh, little things. But as you get into to high school, they have a new program called the company program. And essentially what the company program is, it's an 18-week program that allows students to start up their own companies. And what you do is you have a group of, say, 25 students. You all put a little bit of money in to get shares, I don't know, say like 10 bucks. And then, you, yeah, so so super little. And it's, it's an 18-week program. So you have advisors. You come up with the idea of what you want to do. And you go through everything. You create a business plan. You sell products. And then at the end of the 18 weeks, you liquidate to see how you did, if you did well or if you didn't. In grade 11, in the first year that we did it, I we started a company that was called Opaque, completely black mug. And then once you put the hot beverage in there, a, a light bulb shows up and, and stuff like that. We had like Tetris ones and Pac-Man mugs. So, you know, we didn't do very well that year, to be honest. Liquidation wasn't the hottest. Liquidation wasn't the hottest that year. 
But, you know, we definitely learned a lot. That was really the key. So that was in grade 11. In grade 12, we I did it again, and it was with a whole new group of people. And what the focus for me, at least this year, was, okay, what were the mistakes that we made last year? Uh, how can we improve that? And I want I want to win something. So at the end of each year, they have awards. Started a new company again, uh, part of the 18-week program. And uh, this one was actually... It was focusing on first. Let's do something that nobody else has done before. Connecting youth, because we noticed everybody, you know, everybody's on their phones nowadays. So we wanted to focus on what really brings people together. And it was the pillars of arts and sports. And we wanted to have a huge networking event, which was kind of our, our cumulative event at the end of the year that we brought in like Olympians. We raised a ton of money for the MLSC Foundation. We had a ton of speakers. And anyways, all the mistakes that we made the previous year wanted to change that up. And we ended up winning company of the year that year. We ended up actually raising the most money that any student-led organization did for the MLSC Foundation um, and so on and so forth. So that was really kind of the the first true taste of, of entrepreneurship that I had. And now I'm actually an advisor for, for, the, for the company program too. Oh, that's really nice. You get to give back. Do you think that you got involved in that program because you already knew you enjoyed entrepreneurship or do you think that that got you more into entrepreneurship so that in in my opinion is what got me more into entrepreneurship in in high school like grade nine grade ten i wanted to get into engineering and then i started taking more business courses in grade 11 realizing I, i liked that a little bit better and i wanted to start my own company didn't know really what i wanted to do and then okay. this opportunity was presented to me and I was like, sounds like something that can be really beneficial. And I think I would learn a lot from it. So like now I, I, I anybody that I meet who I know has kids in, in high school, I always push it and I suggest it because it's it was such a pivotal moment for me in my life. And I think if I didn't have that opportunity, I don't think I'd be here where I am today, to be honest. It instilled a ton of confidence in me, taught me a ton of life lessons such as the first one, learning from your mistakes and, and not being afraid to fail, to be honest. Even in grade 11 and 12, I think I think it takes a lot of self-reflection to say, okay, what did we do last year, actually take wrong last year, actually take note of it and use that as a way to move forward. Where did you even learn that sort of framework? Because I am still working <laughs> on doing that. Yeah, you know... At the time, to be honest, I think it was just me and my competitive nature intrinsically being like, in the following year, I want to win something and I want to do better and I want to keep growing. And I think that's kind of really where it came from. I think it's just based on everything that was in my surrounding, my family being in sports and all that kind of stuff. It just all kind of built up within me and just drove me with with that mentality and and that mindset. You know, that introduced me into entrepreneurship. I still don't think it really drove in me fully that that's the route I wanted to fully take. Because, you know, I ended up going to Schulich, as, as you mentioned, um, for university. And throughout university, I was, I, I specialized in accounting. I was weird as it is, I really enjoyed it and I actually loved my accounting classes. I won't judge. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, <laughs> so, it, and you know, I, I was going down that route. I had 
jobs lined up for when I was graduating already at some of the, the big four accounting firms, you know, I had that mindset of, okay, this is, this is the route that I'm going to do. And I, I enjoyed it and I liked doing it and that's why, but you know, while I had that in mind, it was always, I'll probably work at one of these firms for a little bit, but the ultimate goal is I want to start my own accounting practice. I want to have my own clients. I want to do my own thing. And I met Aiden, who's obviously one of my business partners at Blade, in our first year accounting class. And he was going into law. That was his direction that he wanted to do. And it was, okay, I'll start an accounting firm. You start a law firm and we'll just toss each other clients and that's how it'll work. Right. So we both kind of had that mentality. So now where Blade started was an opportunity that came in mid to the end of our second year uh, in our undergrad at Schulich. Aiden's brother, Joe, who is two years older than us, so he was in fourth year at the time. He was studying chemical engineering at Ryerson, Toronto Metropolitan University. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, no, you didn't know that? Yeah. So, yeah. So Ryerson is now team. Yeah. (laughs) Joe always loved to grow tropical plants. That's that's really how this whole thing started with Joe's love of growing tropical plants and to study to, to cope with the stress of engineering and studying, that's that's what he did. And um, you know, being in Canada as we're experiencing right now as winter's approaching, there's not enough light and heat for him to grow his tropical plants year long. And um he realized quickly that he had to buy something called a growth locker if he wanted to grow his tropical plants and, you know, deal with all the stress of engineering. And as he was looking to buy this growth locker, quickly realized that he couldn't afford one. But he's like, you know what? I'm an engineering student. I'm just going to build my own. And, and that's exactly what he did. So as he was building this growth locker, he saw a component of the growth locker called the carbon filter. The carbon filter was used to remove any smells that that came in and when he saw this carbon filter he was looking at it and he's like okay this thing needs to be replaced every year and it's pretty expensive to replace it once again i'm a student so he looked at it and he's like listen he's like it has to be replaced once a year because the carbon in it becomes exhausted meaning that it no longer removes the smells anymore so he's like very costly very unsustainable to be honest because you're just tossing this entire thing out he's like there's got to be a way that i can just replace the carbon in the unit not this entire piece of equipment Uh so he was asking his friends actually at the time who uh, were growing cannabis because he's like i know these guys are using it because they have to remove the smells and he's like listen guys uh he's like carbon filter i get it i see it there's got to be something that has a replaceable carbon cartridge like what's on the market they're like no, like it is what it is. This is how it's been for 25 years. Don't question just, it. it yeah, you it just got to do it. Yeah. And he's like, so let me get this straight. There's no carbon filter on the market that has a replaceable carbon cartridge. They said no. So that's where the light bulb went off in his head. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to design a carbon filter with a replaceable carbon cartridge. And that's what he did. Came up with the concept went to Aiden, because Aiden and Joe are brothers, and presented the idea to Aiden. Aiden then came to me with the opportunity and the idea, and he's like, what do you think of this? And I said, honestly, I have zero idea about the industry, 
but it sounds pretty cool. Let's do some research on there and see if there's something worthwhile. So Aiden and I at that time, so it's 2017, cannabis is getting legalized in Canada this year. So a huge market opportunity if there's some value here. We quickly did some research on these carbon filters, saw that hydroponic stores were the stores that sold them throughout Canada. We called pretty much every single hydroponic store that you can imagine throughout the country, provided them our value proposition on what we were trying to do without giving too much away. And everyone loved the idea. Everyone loved that it was sustainable. It was innovation in the space. They said that this is actually something they probably pay, play, excuse me, pay a premium for, and they would be interested in carrying it. So with that market research, we quickly decided that, you know what, let's push this opportunity and see what we can do. And that's exactly what we did. You know, Joe in his fourth year, Aiden and I just finishing our second year, no money to us and, and still in school. We were ready to push on this opportunity and see what we can do. And, you know, the first thing was the first mistake that we made was getting into manufacturing while being in school because we had no idea how expensive that that was yeah and not cheap at all so you know we had to quickly find some funding and we didn't have really anything to us um so we kind of we came up with the concept we designed the prototype where our friends were partying on friday nights we were writing, we had little red solo, solo glasses of wine and little salami that we would be in the basement writing grant applications after grant applications, applying to um, different accelerator programs, like where we met each other at uh, uh, YU Accelerate Up, doing pitch competitions. And eventually we raised about $85,000 in just non-dilutive grants. And we used that money to get our prototype we used that money to uh, get a patent. And then from there, we started pushing the idea out, got a ton of interest, brought in some investment money as well um, for the concept, and then started pushing it. And in, in the cannabis industry, we quickly became known as the Blade Boys, who you would always see with this replaceable carbon filter in the industry, um, and uh, started building a really good reputation in the space. It's, it's such an interesting story because it started with one guy just having some plans at home into a really incredible and really fast growing company. I'm curious from, I mean, your first business, you started with 10 bucks to 85 <laughs> grand for, you know, the, the next one. How did you decide where to spend that initial lump sum that you received? There's a lot of places you can spend that and it goes really quickly. To be honest, it comes down to this uh, simple tactic called the the building block mentality. And I'm sure there's a ton of different names for this concept. That's just kind of the one that that I chose for it. Mm -hmm. But it's essentially is we knew where our end goal was at the time. Our end goal was we wanted to supply as many cannabis um, growers in Canada our carbon filters. Now, in order to do that, we needed manufacturing capability. We needed inventory. In order to get inventory, we needed money. Yeah. In order to get money, we needed investment. In order to get investment, 
we needed a patent and we needed we needed a pipeline credibility in the industry in order to get those two we needed a prototype in order to get a prototype we needed money so with the money that we got we quickly put it into the prototype from the prototype we were able to apply for our patent and so some of that money was used for the patent in order to get customers we needed to spend money to go to trade shows so put money into trade shows building our, our our name our brand name building our website from there, once we had those two, we were then able to go and get investment and, and it, it keeps going on. It's taking that big picture and really driving it down to the steps that we needed to get there. And, you know, we, we had that mentality in the beginning and, and we still have it today. We just did 2024 planning this week, actually, for, for Blade Air. It's focused on the same thing. Where, where's the end goal? What, do we, what are the smaller steps that we need to do to get there so that way we can have little wins every day? I want to hear about that angle, but I also want to talk about your emotion during that time, because just hearing the story, I get jittery and like, (laughs) holy shit, am I making the right decision? I'm, you know, not dedicating as much time to school because I'm in the basement, you know, Mm -hmm. building this thing. So how did, I don't know if you can like reflect back to the first, you know, couple months of starting your business. What did, what were the emotions? I think the number one thing as entrepreneurs is everybody's focused on that that end goal that we we always kind of forget the journey and we we don't take a moment to really step back and in my opinion that's probably one of the most exciting if not the best part of the entire thing is just the journey throughout and and honestly consciously every day just take a step back and realize where you're at and in that moment we were we were moving quickly. It was an exciting time and a time of unknowns, to be honest. Do we know that we were making the right decisions? No, not at all. Were we willing to try it out? Yeah, of course. And were we willing to change our strategy if it wasn't going to plan? A hundred percent. And did any of our ideas and, and our, our plan really go to plan? No, we, I can't tell you how many times we've, we've changed what we were doing, but it's always staying resilient and, and knowing what that end goal is and doing what you need to get there. So, you know, balancing this and school, it was challenging. Absolutely. But, you know, we're lucky enough and, and I was lucky enough to have partners in it that you know, everything didn't just fall on my shoulders. So we were able to, to use each other to, to keep pushing forward. But it really comes down to, you know, staying organized with your days. That's very important. So that way, you know, I know that I have, say, two hours today to focus on this. Yeah. I'm not going to spend the two hours procrastinating it to the, to the last second. I need to ensure I'm utilizing my entire time as effective as possible. And it's the same on, on a day-to-day basis now. It's let's make the most out of our time and let's uh, let's do as much as we can. I know what you're saying in that you don't want to miss the journey and enjoy it while also still being very clear on what that end goal is. And mm-hmm. part of that is breaking down your end goal into your quarters, your months, your days. Right. Because to your point, it's very easy to procrastinate or spend those two hours on the easy little detail task versus getting into the big meaty problems. Um, But that takes me to the question of of your end goal for right now. So I know you guys just 
acquired cleanair.ai. So I want to learn a little bit more about, I'm sure that was an end goal at one point. So let's talk about <laughs> that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll pick up kind of from where Blade, and you mentioned the beginning. So it started with Blade Filters, grew into having two, and then it grew into Blade Air. And, and now it's all kind of Blade Air. So it's all just one brand name now. So kind of showing you that transition and we'll get into the acquisition and how we got there and why we, we decided to, to do what we did was, um, you know, everything was going great in the cannabis industry. As I mentioned, Blade Boys running around with this carbon filter always. And I'm sure you saw us holding it too many times. You know, it was, let's bring us to February, January of 2020. We were out in a trade show in Vancouver really good trade show it was so good that we got invited back out to vancouver from a ton of clients that we met in march of 2020 so march 2020 comes our flights are ready uh, now this is when covid you just started hearing about it a little bit um it was nothing crazy that um was really really popular yet but you heard about it and um i remember our flight to vancouver um the flight that left before us the exact same flight on the news it showed that everybody on the flight got covid so we were heading there and we're like oh no like what does this mean so we get on the flight um i'm the only one on the flight pretty much wearing a mask and that's because my mom like forced me forced and, you. yeah yeah for sure yeah exactly so i was the only one on the way to vancouver wearing a mask on the entire flight and you know we're in vancouver we're doing our thing we're not there for long maybe like four days everything's really good um ton of good uh pipeline now built for the entire year and flight back home everybody is wearing a mask now in the span of four days, we get back home and pretty much everything shuts down. It's amazing how quickly our behaviors change. And you saw, it's pretty cool that you saw that in just a For sure. Days. Yeah. And, and honestly, it was also terrifying how how quick everything happened because the pipeline that we had built out just three days ago, completely gone. All the projects that were planned for 2020 either lost funding, got pushed out to nobody knows when yet. A lot of employees were laid off. People were running skeleton crews. Um, so we had this entire pipeline that pretty much just disappeared before our eyes. And when we got back, we were like, we want to do something to help out. We want to do something, one, to keep our suppliers in business to keep our clients in business. We want to do something to help stimulate the Canadian economy as much as we can right now. And we quickly put our team together and, and try to do as much research that we could at the time to, to figure out what we could do and quickly realized, you know, let's introduce HEPA air purifiers and see if this is going to be a tool to help out. Um, from a re from a ton of research in past pandemics, we determined that it was something that's going to be really beneficial. So we quickly developed what was the the Blade Air uh, HEPA air purifier, the first generation at the time, and um, it was an industrial unit, all Canadian made because we wanted to stimulate the Canadian economy, and uh, we started pushing that into the market as much as possible. Was this still a B two B product? 
Yeah, when we introduced it. So we started it in March. Now, quickly developed it. We're looking at maybe June. It was a super, super quick turnaround time. And, um, you know, we started pushing it to the market. We're like, okay, who can benefit from these units right now? And we're like, well, it's a pandemic, so everybody can. So we would literally wake up at three in the morning. We would plaster flyers of these air purifiers on every business door. I kid you not, throughout York Region, throughout Toronto, um, it was so funny because we would go before anybody would come into the office. So that way, as soon as they showed up, they saw this flyer on their door. You know, we did this for like maybe two weeks, just every single day and got maybe one call back. And that call back didn't even want to buy anything. Um, so we were like, okay, obviously this plant's not working. Yes, it is COVID. Um, people do need better air quality, but realistically, who can afford it right now? So we went back to the drawing board, um, and this is kind of going back to that thing of learning from your mistakes. Um, we decided, okay, let's maybe narrow our, our, our target down to maybe doctors, dentists, and, and private schools. So did that, started seeing a lot of success with private schools, so we started focusing on this area. So started dealing and started getting a lot of success with private schools. And then the next thing was, okay, let's try to go after the public school boards. Uh, had to learn how they purchased because we had no idea. You know, I started emailing pretty much every single person that I could find at these school boards, the trustees, the superintendents, uh, just letting them know what we're doing. And um, I can't tell you how many emails I got back saying, hey, we're not interested. Hey, stop emailing me. Just no, 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 no. So I was like, okay. One person actually called me back and said, hey, I appreciate this. Um, we do what the government tells us to do. And right now, there's no funding for this. We're, we're not doing anything, but I appreciate it. So I was like, okay, fair enough. Like, at least I have some insight now versus everybody saying, just leave me alone. Right. So, you know, started calling private schools again and going down that route. And one day as I was calling, CP24 was on, on the side, and I saw that the Ontario government just released $50 million to improve indoor air quality in schools. So I'm like, huh. I quickly found that person's number who talked to me before. This was like three weeks after. Called them. It went straight to voicemail. And I said, hey, it's Giancarlo calling from Blade. I don't know if you just saw, but the government just released a ton of money to improve indoor air quality in schools. We're here if you need help. 10 minutes later, I get a call back. He's like, I saw that. He's like, send me this, 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 and this in an email, and then we'll go from there. And I said, perfect. I was like, you know what? I'm stopping everything I'm doing with the private schools. This evening, I am going to email everybody who I emailed before, everyone that told me to get lost. And I want to be the first one in their email, in their inbox in the morning, basically telling them what we're doing again, how we can help out, so on and so forth. This is probably August at this point. I'm starting to see orders come in from school boards. You know, we're, we're starting to grow and leverage the relationships that we had. And I think by the end of this year, where, you know, the beginning of the year was no pipeline in place. I think we ended the year with probably about a million and a half in sales. And we just graduated school in 2019 as well. So this was like fresh out. We entered into a pandemic. 
um, with all this excitement and then completely downhill and then right back up on the roller coaster. What a theme of pivots. Not once were you like, well, I guess this business is a bust. It's like, well, fuck it. We have to, we have to figure it out. And, and we could have easily said that when nobody called us back. Right. Right. For when we brought those flyers around, but it was, okay, let's go back to the drawing board and see what we can do. And then started seeing some success there. And then I could have easily said that again, when none of the, the public school boards gave me any attention and all told me to get lost. Right. So that that's, that's really that mentality of just keep pushing, find a way and you'll get there. We started growing, started building some good relationships, started listening to our clients to see what they wanted in the market, where they saw the industry. From there, we, we started as a carbon filter company, went to being um, a carbon filter and a HEPA company now. And then from there, it was, okay, what more can we do? Where's the market going? We brought in from there a UVC technology with that UVC technology um, and everything, the focus was Canadian made. That was a huge emphasis for us. And it still is. We brought in a new tech now from what our clients were telling us they were interested in seeing in the market from 2020 to 2021. And, and that was from listening to our clients and understanding what they wanted and where they saw the market going. We're like, you know what? I mean, they're the ones spending the money with us. So why wouldn't we listen to them to see what they wanted? So, Blade Air now has kept evolving from there. It was, let's listen to the market. Let's see what they want. We're not just a carbon filter company anymore. We're not just a HEPA company. We're a portfolio of indoor air quality technologies. Whatever the client's needs are, whatever their the demands may be, we have a product that suits them. If it's, you know, odor control, here's our carbon filter technology. If it's, you know, I want better indoor air and I want something mobile, here's our HEPA air purifier. I want something in duct right in our HVAC system. Here's our UVC. Now, bringing us back to um, the clean air AI acquisition, what we've noticed is there's a huge focus on indoor air quality and sustainability. People think if you improve your indoor air quality, your sustainability is going down. Now, in 2021, uh, was it end of 2021? Yeah. At uh, end of 2021, we saw an opportunity to intersect those two. And in 2022, the um, it was Forbes who came out with an article that said, it, sorry, wait, no, this is in 2022 now. So at the beginning of 2023, um, Forbes came out with an article that said, is intersecting sustainability and indoor air quality even possible? Throughout 2022, we were testing this technology in the background from the clean air AI acquisition. And we knew ahead of time that, yes, it, it is possible. In fact, we outperformed the top tier suggested indoor air quality filters by over two and a half times. And we provided 75% energy savings to our client. And at the time, that client was the distillery district who we were working with. We liked what Clean Air was doing. We thought it was really novel, really interesting, exciting. And we wanted to bring them into our portfolio of, of technologies. And that's kind of where that acquisition came in. So it really puts us 
as a key player for for intersecting indoor air quality and sustainability. But there's also a smart filtration component to this technology, which really opens us to a, a whole new perspective and a whole new avenue of getting into the smart filtration side of things. So for us, really what it comes down to is let's provide as much value to their clients as possible. Let's focus on Canadian-made, North American-made technologies. And let's really breathe innovation into this industry that hasn't had innovation in a long time. And and that's kind of where we're at now. It goes right back to the very start of your story when he was asking around, you know, how does this filter filtration work? And everyone's like, don't, don't question the industry. Like it is how it is. No one's going to innovate here and unlocking that and questioning that has gotten you to like this unbelievable growth. How did you service that? Because you're changing every process in your company in order to go from a 1.5 million to $30 million company. Yeah, it, it was a ton of quick and rapid growth. And to put it in perspective, so up until January of 2021, we didn't have our own office, our own warehouse. We were working when we fulfilled that first million and a half. We were working out of our subcontractors facilities and we would literally sleep in our cars there all night because it didn't make sense for us to drive home and go back there in the morning. We begged them to just let us stay inside the facility and work all night. And keep in mind, we were also paying them to do the work for us that we were doing. We just wanted everything done a lot faster. So we literally stayed there and worked. But so to put it in perspective, in January of 2021 is when we got our first office. We got 2,500 square feet and that was office and warehouse. So 10% of it was office. The remainder was warehouse. By February of that same year, we were completely out of space. So those are some of the challenges. And from there, we started having to look for new space, went to 5,000 square feet by i think may we got into 5000 square feet ran out of space there in october of the same year we ended up moving into 30000 square feet and that's where we are right now so on that end it's a great problem to have absolutely yeah. but it also comes with challenges and and the other challenge and really what helps us drive is building out our team and building out our team and and all the culture internally as well. So for us, one thing we've always focused on is bringing in good talent, bringing in strong individuals and building a strong culture within the company. Um, Because we knew with those key pieces, we can sustain the growth and we can build to provide more growth. So, you know, in the early days, and it's still like this for us is, we know where our strengths are. We know where our weaknesses are as individuals. And we hire where our weaknesses are and where we're lagging. So that way, the organization as a whole is always better. We want to be surrounded by people that are smarter than us, that, that complement us and, our, and our, complement our weaknesses, right? So that and that mentality and, and bringing in people who have, you know, very self-driven, entrepreneurial, hardworking mindsets has allowed us to push through those challenges that we had 
um, and has helped us build a strong, sustainable base in the organization to continue to, to skyrocket. It's so exciting um, to see the type of growth. I mean, I remember coming and listening to some of your, you know, the story time must be like five years ago now, yeah. the Schulich events and not really knowing much about the business to where you are now. It's just so incredible. You've mentioned a few times about forward looking and pivoting and things are constantly evolving. So if you you're looking forward and planning for the next year, five years, 10 years, right. what, what does that look like for you and the team? For us? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a great question. So, you know, I, I kind of alluded to it, but really what our, our goal and our mission right now is breathing innovation. And that's not just in our technology. That's a huge component of it but just breathing innovation into new markets as well. So right now our focus is to, to continue growing, growing the team, growing our product suite, growing internationally as well. So right now we're looking to continue to expand. So we have a strong focus to, to keep pushing into the U.S. Um, we have some applications right now in Singapore. We're looking to expand into Dubai as well. So a lot of geographical expansion right now is the focus. Um, and, you know, the plan and, and the strategy that we have, once again, as, as we've learned, it might not go to plan. And I'm sure we're going to change and adjust as we're going along. But that's all part of that, that journey, right, is making mistakes and learning from them and adjusting to them and being open to, to adjust to them and Really, I think the, the term that I've used more this year than I ever have before, because it's so true, is I don't know what I don't know. And I want to surround myself with people who know what I don't know. So we've had a big emphasis on bringing in smarter individuals, bringing in consultants, bringing in advisors who can help us to not make the mistakes that they have made in the past and to provide knowledge that we lack. And specifically, we, we're bringing in a group right now whose focus is on growing into, into new markets, specifically in our industry, uh, because they've done it in the past and they've done it very successfully. So we want to learn from them. Do you think the value propositions that you're building on right now for Blade Air, so sustainability and made in Canada continues to be strong value props as you go into Dubai or US or these uh, Singapore, or are you for sure? Does that tweak as you, as you expand? Yeah. Yeah. And, And that's a great question. I think that really comes down to as right now we have a strong emphasis on Canadian made. Um, will that adjust to maybe a locally made type thing? So if we're going into the States, maybe we're, we're looking to, to bring in some U.S. partners. Really, the focus there is to make the supply chain as strong as possible, right? That's why we want Canadian made, because when everybody was bringing in products from overseas and they couldn't bring it in, we had supply coming in constantly and going out constantly. Um, so really the emphasis maybe changed to having a strong supply chain, right? Which we do have right now and maybe finding different ways to do that. So I'm sure if we're developing in Canada and maybe shipping out to Singapore, it might be a challenge, but I think we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when it comes and we're going to learn from people who have done it before 
and see what their suggestions are. You've had really rapid growth and it looks like you're not trying to slow down anytime soon, but there's a lot of ways you can grow. You kind of, you, you mentioned it geographically, product suite. How are you deciding which, or maybe it's a little bit of everything, which way you're going to grow? Yeah. And that's a great question, to be honest. I think for us, what it really comes down to is believing in the leaders of our different departments in the organization and having strong communication between them. So we want all our teams to always be in the loop with whatever everybody else is doing. So that way everything is cohesive. Maybe we'll start seeing some success geographically first. And if we see a strong opportunity out there, there's going to be a key focus maybe from our engineering department to make tweaks to the technology to be better suited for that market. Or if, you know, our engineering department sees an opportunity for uh, a new technology to be better beneficial um, and more beneficial in the current market, then we'll focus on introducing that. But right now it's building out the team so we can kind of hit all options and not put our eggs all in one basket to be honest um it's let's test the different markets let's keep constant r&d going so you know if we're looking to expand in a new market it doesn't mean our 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 innovation side stops it's still going but everything's going simultaneously um so that way we're not just like i said putting everything in one basket how are you feeling coming right out of school and then building this very (laughs) successful business how has that been for you? Because you're right, you're leaning into other leaders to to help mm-hmm. guide and build you as a leader and a, and a CEO. But how have how has that experience been for for yourself as a as a founder? Yeah, uh, and that's a great one. And to be honest, it's you kind of got to pitch yourself sometimes, and you really got to, like I said at the beginning, you kind of got to take that step back every now and then, and just understand where you are and and what you're doing because what we're doing now is really honestly what we've always dreamed of doing and because we've grown so fast and because we're we're in it day to day I don't think we realize that all the time to be honest and for us like so one thing that I do and I I just started doing it for fun was every day what I'll do, well, not every day, but most of the time is at the end of the day, I'll kind of just jot down notes of, you know, what happened during the day. Because what I find is I'll tend to forget like some of the ups and downs that we had last year or the year before. And what I'll do is on New Year's Eve every year, I'll kind of read through the year to see what happened because really what it allows me to do is see, okay, we've gone through challenges in the past and We've probably gone through bigger challenges than we might have gone through that we're going through right now. And all we need to know is we overcame them. And really just looking back at the roller coaster ride and the journey and just being present in the moment. I think that's the most important thing is just just being present at least once a day and, and being thankful and grateful for everything that that we've been able to do and our team everything that they've been able to do because it's it's not a one-man show it's not a two-man show it's not a three-man show it's everybody's efforts together and um you know we were lucky enough actually probably about two weeks ago we we won ey entrepreneur of the year award thank you yeah and you know we were one of nine winners for that night 
in everybody's speech, it was, you know, this is great and, and, and thank you and we appreciate it, but this is really dedicated to, to the entire team. They're the ones who, who make us look good every day. And they're really the ones who are just continuing to drive all this great growth and, and building the organization every day. It's, it must feel very special to be part of that and see how far like yourself and the team and the product has come. We're in our last few moments of the interview. And I have like a whole list of questions that I never got to because it, it was just so interesting. So thank you for sharing everything that you have. Uh, last two questions. So the first one, and I, and I ask every guest this, but I noticed when I was going through, you know, the Schulich entrepreneurial talks and chatting with entrepreneurs, there's a lot of these crazy myths that you were told. And then once you started business, you're like, ah, oh, that's not, a, that's not true, or it doesn't need to be that way. So curious from your perspective, a myth that you were told that as a founder, now you'd want to dispel for future founders. Hmm. That's a great question. I've actually never been asked that before. Hmm. You know, I, I feel like, and I don't know if it's necessarily a myth, but it, it's actually funny and, and, and very true of um, when we were talking about this yesterday, actually, is that I feel like everyone really nowadays, honestly, glorifies the, the entrepreneur, to be honest. And everyone is like, oh, I, I want to do this and I want to be that. And they see all the, the shiny stuff that comes at the end. And I think that's why people want to be entrepreneurs because they see all, all that shiny stuff. But I think what people forget, and this once again comes down to, it's funny how many times it's come up, but they don't see that journey and they don't see the ups and downs along the way, to be honest. Being in a group of, entre uh, sorry, in, in, in a partnership with three different individuals has made that a lot easier. But for those individual entrepreneurs where I remember being in school and it's always like, you know, own 100% of the organization, you make all the decisions so much easier. I don't know how solo entrepreneurs do it, to be honest. I The challenges of dealing with, with everything, all the decisions they, they need to make. And, you know, when the highs are high, it's great. But when there's a low, you by yourself need to be able to pull yourself out of that and i can't imagine how challenging it, that is especially if you don't have a support system so in my opinion i think it's always great to have partners you win together you lose together but at the end of the day you're, you're always together i like that one it some it's something that has come up in a few of these conversations that it can be challenging to have a co-founder but there's going to be a million things that are challenging. Mm -hmm. So if you can find the right person to partner with and you right. know that they complement your skill set and that you guys can be a very strong team and you figure out what does that relationship look like, it can be, you know, the winning factor of what propels the business forward. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay, final question. You're going to hate this question. Um, but <laughs> as you know, the podcast is called How I Became. If you were to name your episode, how you became dot, dot, dot. Ooh. So it can't be how I became Giancarlo Sessa. <laughs> uh, it's so interesting because I like we call it how I became, but I think just, just when we started, it's 
I'm still trying to find out who, who I am. I think I'm evolving all the time. And like the guy I was two years ago, a year ago, six months ago, feels different than the person I meant I am today. I don't know if it's the right word, but ever changing. Is that what it is? I'm trying to say like always, always adjusting. Uh, how, yeah. Yeah. Um, because I don't know if I, yeah, I like, I, I don't know if I truly know who I've become yet. And I, and I'm always adjusting to the different times and, and growing as a person. Yeah. It's a perfect title. How I became ever changing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm probably going to Google ever changing after this and be like, dang, nope, that is not, not what, what I meant. <laughs> we can always That's tweak it, fun. but I do like it. it it's like, cool. yeah, you're constantly evolving, constantly becoming, you know, a better version of last week's CEO or last week's founder. So yeah. it's CRO in last week's founder. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was an incredible conversation. The story and the growth that you guys have had is just outstanding. Huge congrats. I think we hit everything and just wanted to say thank you. It's awesome that you're doing this. Yeah. I'm really enjoying these conversations and hopefully other people will enjoy them too. How I Became a Bluemex Podcast is hosted by Kelly Yafet and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more How I Became content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.